Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I, I just don't make enough to pay the student loans back. So I just, I, I'm like, how do I, how do I get myself into a loan that accommodates for, I don't know, for when you have a hard time? This is Death, Sex, and Money. I regret them so much. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Who lobbies for these policy changes? And need to talk about more. A lot of folks ignore the fact that we're sort of sitting on this ticking time bomb. I'm Anna Sale. And man, when you open up the phone lines to see if people have questions about student debt, they fill up fast. This is the second of our live call-in shows we did this week to answer your questions about student debt. After we put out our series about student loans earlier this summer, you kept reaching out with very concrete and vexing questions about how to deal with the debt you already have. So we got a few experts on the line and tried to answer some of those questions together. We're posting both call-in shows on our website along with all our coverage of student debt. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash student loans. We also have a list of resources there if you still have questions after listening to these episodes. In this show, we talk about a lot of things. When to consolidate your student loans, what to say when you call your loan servicer, how to prioritize other things in your life along with your student loan payments, things like retirement savings, credit card debt, or, you know, the cost of becoming parents. Thanks to all of you who called in with questions and who shared. Here's the episode. We are live on WNYC 93.9 FM in New York, and I'm joining you from KQED in San Francisco. And with me to answer your student debt questions is Miranda Marquit. She's a financial expert and the senior writer at Student Loan Hero, which is a website that provides resources for people figuring out their student loan debt. Miranda also co-hosts the podcast Adulting.tv, which is all about empowering adults to be grown-ups. Miranda is joining me from Idaho Falls, Idaho. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you so much for having me on today. And we are going to do our very best to avoid jargon and to get to as many of your calls as possible. So be ready with a concrete question when we go to you. I'm going to start with a voice memo that we received from a death, sex, and money listener named Michelle. My question's about uh, 
private loans. I feel like most of the information out there is about federal loans and what to do. However, I have a bunch of private loans at this point. So my question is, is there anything that I can even do about my private loans? Can I lower um, interest rates? Can I consolidate? And if so, how do I do that? So Michelle's question is about private loans, about a small percentage of total student loan debt is in private loans. But Miranda, what should she look into as far as managing private loans? Yeah, so um, we're, we're going to be sad here to start the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's happened a lot during this coverage of student debt, unfortunately. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah the, sad, the sad, sad news is that there aren't the same um, programs available for private student loan debt as there are for uh, private loans. And when you get right down to it, um, yes, you can consolidate. You can consolidate them, and it's usually done through refinancing. And you can refinance your loans. You can wrap them all up into one big loan, uh, usually with a lower interest rate and possibly a longer term and a smaller monthly payment, which can help your cash flow. So that is, uh, you know, sort of the sort of good news. So the, the, the simple answer is yes. You can consolidate. You can refinance those loans. Um, there are companies that will do this for uh, – that will help you do this. Um, quick plug, studentloanhero.com um, is a place you can go to compare rates and compare um, different loans available. We don't actually make the loans. We can just show you the companies that actually offer the loans. And uh, disclosure, um, we do get a little bit of a commission um, you know, from when when you when you refinance for re- for those referrals yeah for the referrals so but yes you can but uh, once again the difficulty with private loans and I have had uh, private loans in the past um, is that you know you don't have the same options that you do have with federal loans. You can call your loan servicer, ask them if they have a hardship program, if you're having difficulty paying. Uh, But in the end, pretty much the only thing you can do is uh, try to refinance them all. And the further bad news is most of the time uh, you need to have good credit, um, a decent income, or a co-signer who has good credit and a decent income. So speaking of co-signers, we've got a call from Becky on Long Island about consolidating loans that her parents have taken out. Becky, what's your question? Hi. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm wondering, because I have graduate student loans and undergraduate student loans that I'm looking to consolidate to um, pay back under the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Repayment Plan, and I wasn't sure what I should do with my parent-plus loans for my undergraduate education and if those can be consolidated. Yeah, so... Uh, normally you have to consolidate those separately because they are your parents. They're the loans that your parents took out. Um, it is uh, possible to get your parents' names taken off of them and put them in your name. Um, it takes a little bit of doing, but it is possible. Um, so you might want to check into that and look into getting your parents off of them. Uh, they can't be consolidated together as long as they're, um, separate, like under your parents for the parent plus and then yours um, separate, if that makes sense. As as long as the the loans are in her parents' names, they can't be consolidated into the same chunk. Yeah. And and I have just a broad question about why you would look into consolidating federal student loans. Is it because if you consolidate, you may be getting a lower interest rate overall? Or is it about managing the monthly payment, maybe lowering your monthly payment if you consolidate? 
Yeah, so consolidating your loans um, can uh, stretch out. So when you do like a federal loan consolidation, they will stretch out your loan period um, to either 20 or 25 years. Um, I think there are some longer periods as well, but they'll stretch that out. And then you get an average of the interest rates because each loan that you take out is a new loan, right? So each, each year you get a new loan, it's got a different interest rate. And when you consolidate, you get the, um, the average of those interest rates. Josh in Macaw, Idaho, has a question about monthly installments. Hi, Josh. Another another Idahoan right off the bat. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Death, Sex, and Money. What's your question? Good. Well, so I started out with $30,000 of student loan, and I, I haven't been able to pay. I wasn't able to pay. And, you know, I was on forbearance. Then, long story short, now I owe about $70,000. And and I'm still not able to um, pay it. I'm a stay-at-home dad, and um, and I don't, I, I just don't make enough to pay the student loans back. So I just, I, I'm like, how do I, how do I get myself into a loan that accommodates for, I don't know, for when you have a hard time. Like that's what I, I was in a hard, hard time. Hold on, sweetheart. My daughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stay-at-home well. dadding in action right there. Nice. Yeah, Very exactly. nice. Well done. <laughs> yes. So um, what do you do, Miranda, when when you when you don't have the money to afford a monthly payment? What's the way to to to, to not just be is there a way to manage that properly? Yeah, so um I guess first of all, I mean, are, these are federal loans? They are federal loans. Okay. Good. So, so some are subsidized and some are unsubsidized. Okay, yeah, that actually doesn't make a huge difference um, right. for what I'm about to tell you. So, uh, the, so the the good news is is you can get on an income based repayment plan. So they have these income driven repayment plans through the government where they will um, help you consolidate all of your loans, and then they will look at your income and they will cap your payments at a percentage of your income. And so, um, you know, I encourage you to look at the Department of Education's income-driven repayment loans and um, go through that process. Because if you can't afford to pay, then your loans will be a much, uh, you'll have a much lower monthly payment. And in some cases, it can even be zero. And these are still considered on-time payments. These are considered payments that um, you are, they consider you as making these payments, even if they're very low. Now, the downsides, the downside to income-driven repayment is that it will extend your loan term, um, and you can get to the point where um, you know you're you're not really paying down very much on the principal. Uh, this is a this is a solution, uh, a more of an immediate solution to help you with your monthly cash flow. And then as you get into a better financial position and you can start making uh, bigger payments, you get off the plan and you kind of accelerate that. Uh, if you go all the way through to the end, then you could actually potentially end up paying more in the long run. Uh, but as far as a temporary solution and something that you can get on right now to help relieve some of the pressure, um, this is not a bad way to go. You just need to have a plan moving forward uh, to knock out that student loan debt when you're in a better financial position. Thanks for your call, Josh, and, and good luck to you. We've got a voice message from a, a listener named Brian who has a lot of different loans, and he wants to know how we should manage those. Let's take a listen to his voice memo. Hi, this is Brian in Chicago. I have this large student debt. I'm working to repay it responsibly, but there are just so many philosophies on how to do that, and I don't know what is best. I've heard of ideas such as paying the lowest loan amount first, paying the highest accruing interest first, 
privately financing, and most recently, planning for forgiveness by paying minimum on a loan and placing the money in the stock market to prepare for a tax bill when forgiven. What do I do? Okay, a lot lot in there, Miranda. What <laughs> should Brian do? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, first of all, it depends kind of on what you're most comfortable with and what your personal financial situation is. So in my case, um, and uh, I actually have student loan debt. And when I graduated, when I finished my graduate school, I had um, about $60,000 in, in federal student loan debt. I ended up consolidating that. I actually graduated at a time when interest rates were very low. And so I have a 1.9% interest rate. And so I actually haven't been um, actively paying off my loans early. I pay the monthly payment and I make that on time, uh, but I am investing for retirement instead because of that low 1.9% interest rate. Now it changes a little bit when you have a higher interest rate, like what students are facing now. I am very lucky because of the timing. Um, today's students are not so lucky. And so you kind of need to balance that out. Although I do think that it makes sense in a lot of ways to at least uh, consolidate your loans, get them into one place and in one interest rate, um, whether you do that federally or privately, you kind of need to look at that situation. Um, I personally like um, the federal because if you have federal loans and you consolidate them uh, federally, then you have protections. You have access to the income-driven repayment. You have other protections and programs that you can fall back on. Um, once you move your federal loans into the private system, all of those protections go away. So um, if you do decide to consolidate, I personally like the idea of, of using the federal system. And just for clarification, Miranda, when you say you pay 1.9%, what's the going rate right now if you're a freshman in college taking out federal student loans? They just just changed that. (laughs) And I got to double check real quick. They just okay, while you that. double check, let me reintroduce you. This is Miranda Marquit. She is a senior writer with the Student Loan Hero website. And we are taking your calls right now about managing your student loan debt as part of a special live call-in episode of Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. Call in to 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. You can also tweet us at Death, Sex, Money, or watch along on Facebook Live on the Death, Sex, and Money Facebook page. Laura in Grand Blanc, Michigan, welcome to Death, Sex, and Money. Hi, Anna. Thanks so much for taking Hi, Laura. my call. Is it Grand, Grand Blanc? Grand Blanc? Grand, how, how do you say Grand it? Grand Blanc, a little bit more American. <laughs> Grand Blanc. Sorry for being so fancy. What is your story when it comes to student debt? So my husband just graduated from podiatry school and has about $260,000 at about 6%. And we are debating, right now we contribute fully to our Roth IRAs, but recently pulled out because $5,500 each is $11,000 a year. And we're thinking that that perhaps could gain us, you know, four or six percent, depending on the market, but might be a, might be better off paying down his loan quickly. He does have completely federal loans. We did consolidate them just in case he does qualify for the PSLF program. But I'm wondering what your um, speaker's thought was on that. Yeah. So, yeah, Miranda, uh, how do you think about retirement when and student loan payments? <laughs> yeah, and I did just double check. Uh, right now, the undergrad rate for federal student loans is four point four five percent. Uh, the graduate or professional rate is 6%, as our caller um, pointed out. Her husband's loan rate is right around. And then if you are doing uh, 
parent plus loans or graduate plus loans, it's a 7%. So it's quite a bit higher than when I was uh, finishing school. So yeah, so my personal rule of thumb, and once again, um, big old fat disclaimer here, you do have to do your due diligence, figure out if this works for you. Uh, but my personal rule of thumb actually is um, if if the loan rate, if the rate I'm paying on the loan is uh, about 6% or higher, I prefer to pay down the debt uh, to investing. Um, so that's my personal rule of thumb. But while you've, but because you have so much debt and even putting it all toward that, um, it could, it could take some years and it, I'm glad to hear you already have the Roth IRAs in place and you're both contributing the full amount. That's awesome. You've got a good start there. Um, I would not take the money out of the Roth, uh, the, the money that you already have to put it toward your student loan debt. Uh, but personally myself, I would probably take about, um, between 50 and 75% of what you've been putting in that, in that and, and putting it toward your student loan debt um, to make extra payments and then evaluating and seeing how comfortable you are and then changing that up depending on your comfort level. So in the end, it really does depend on, you know, what's your personal comfort level? Do you feel comfortable paying 6% um, interest? And do you, do you feel comfortable doing that for this long period of time that it'll take to pay off your debt? Or are you going to feel better? Are you going to feel more comfortable if you can be debt-free sooner? And I know people who are on both sides of that. Um, and, and in the end, you kind of have to really look at it. But my personal rule of thumb is um, if, you're, if you're paying more, you know, if you're paying 6% interest or more, I like to like knock out that debt. Um, so, you know, take it for what it's worth, I guess. <laughs> Miranda, you just mentioned that it's important for, for everyone with specific questions to consult a financial advisor to make sure that, that the advice works for them. So mm-hmm. listeners, take that advice. But but one one question I have for you, Miranda, is how do you find a financial advisor who is well-versed in all of the ins and outs of student debt and student loan programs to make sure that, that you're getting the right kind of advice? Many financial advisors often just talk to you about retirement. Any tips on finding the right kind of help? Yeah, so um, one of my personal favorite resources, it's called the XY Planning Network, and they have a lot of uh, financial planners and financial advisors, and I am not in any way associated with them other than I know some of the people who are in this network, but they're the XY Planning Network, and they focus on generations X and Y. So they're really well-versed in the issues that are facing um millennials. And so um, it's, it's just a network of financial planners. You can get a referral and um, everybody I know who works there um, or who wor- works through that network um, is somebody I personally would have no problem recommending or even going to myself. Um, so yeah, so if you're looking for somebody who understands your issues, um, that would be an, a good place to start. Another good place to start is um, is the uh, let's make a plan.org. I, I believe they're NPR sponsors as well, but uh, they're financial, they're, it's a financial planning uh, referral service as well. It's the um, CFP, the, they're all certified CFPs, and they can refer you to a CFP who can meet your needs. Certified as well. financial planner. Mm-hmm. I yes. like that XY network. I like that it's generationally specific to. Uh, Gen X and younger people who are dealing with a very different landscape than than our parents were. We are taking your calls this hour all about student debt. 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Coming up, we'll be joined by someone who knows a lot about how to talk with student loan servicers, a financial counselor who helped his now wife work up the courage to make her first loan payment. 
It was their first date. Stay with us to hear that story and keep calling 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Remember we called um, one of your lenders and we made a payment. Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. We were just like, well, let's just call now. I know the lingo. And so I called for her and then I think we made a payment together. It was like our first date. (laughs) This is a special live call-in episode of Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. I'm Anna Sale, and those voices you just heard were of a couple named Krista and Danny we met in our series about student loan debt earlier this summer. For months, we've been covering your student loan stories. You can check out the entire series at deathsexmoney.org slash studentloans. And tonight we are taking your calls to try to give you some more guidance about how to manage your student debt. I'm joined by Miranda Marquette, a financial expert and senior writer at the website Student Loan Hero. And we now also have Danny on the line, whose voice you just heard. He's a financial aid counselor who works at a university and a very good boyfriend on the first date. Hi, Danny. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, it's nice to talk to you again. Yeah. How's it going? So from from the vantage point of working as a financial aid counselor with students at a university, what is the top piece of advice that you give a student who is taking out their first loan? It's a good question. I think really just to find out what what your own personal cost of attendance is. Um, a lot of schools, every school, they put together a, um, a cost of attendance, and this is based on, you know, room and board and just basic financial literacy um, and just figuring out what your exact costs are, you know, because tuition tuition is what it is. And that's, you know, until something happens with all the big guys at the top, that's not going to change. Um and so just figuring out, okay, well, you know, cost of living is this much, and this is how I need, how much I need to take out. That's really my main focus um, whenever I'm talking to a student. And there are online calculators to help you with that. You can look it up and figure out, try to calculate what your monthly payment will be based on your cost as you are a student. And, and Danny, I also want to ask your tips about making a call to a student loan servicer, what you did with Krista when you were first getting sure. together. You know, student loan servicers, if you're, if you're not up to date on your payments, you start getting these calls. They start being calls that you ignore. It starts to be something <laughs> that you just kind of don't want to deal with and feels very scary. 
if you're making that call for the first time to a student loan servicer, what's the plan you should go in with? Any tips on that? Absolutely. First, you got to go to the National Student Loan Database System. It's nslds.ed.gov. And you want to check and make sure that you know all of your numbers before you call them. Um, you know, because what that, that, that website's really going to give you all the student loans that you've ever taken out um, and a bunch of other information that's really useful for that call. Um, and it also gives you the contact information of who exactly you need to call, like your loan servicer. Um, and then, you know, having that, having that with you when you're, when you're calling is really going to help out, um, especially if you're talking to just someone who's already talked to 100 students already and they're, you know, trying to push it along, and which not all of them do, but a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so students, go to the so. website and know your numbers. That's really good advice. And and listeners, as yeah. we mentioned, different, different resources and website URLs, know that we're going to collect all of them and put them up on our website along with this episode. So don't feel like you have to frantically take notes. Um, but Danny, it's, <laughs> it's really, really nice to hear from you. Thank you for your help. And thank you for the conversations you're having with students who are going into the process of having student debt. Uh, it's a real service. My pleasure. Um, Take care. I'm Anna Sale, and we are taking your calls and questions tonight at 212-433-9692. If you are a college student currently who has taken out loans and is wondering about ways to keep your debt under control while you're still in school, give us a call, 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. And I also want to bring in another perspective from a college campus right now. It's a Death, Sex, and Money listener we heard from after our first episodes about student debt came out. Ben Carbonetti is a professor at Trinity College in Connecticut. Welcome, Professor Carbonetti. Hi, Anna. Hi. You know, I was really struck by the email that you sent us after we did these episodes about student loans. When you look out at a classroom of students and think about the debt, and the loans that they may be taking out in order to be in your classroom. How do you think about that? Wow, that's a really good question. I, I, I worry about them for sure. Um, my students at Trinity are, you know, some of them, of course, it's a selective liberal arts college, and some of them are from privilege and are going to be fine, but of course some of them are, you know, in all sorts of different circumstances, and I worry that we aren't talking about this enough, and of course I talk to the, you know, I worry about them and what they're going to do after, and I talk, try to talk to them a lot about that, what they're going to do after, and be a good mentor, and, and, um, and work through with them what their life priorities are and things like that for what it's worth when you're 18 to 22. Sometimes it's, I think those things are going to change a lot, but that's well, what... Well, those uh, are really key conversations when you are 18 to 22. You're figuring out what kind of life choices you're going to make, how much you're going to prioritize making good money versus trying to do work that maybe doesn't earn so much but is something you're more passionate about. How, how do you frame that conversation with a young college student? Um, what I try to do, of course, I think back to my own experience, um, having those, uh, going through those types of decision points, and also I try to, to caution them that every decision you're going to make uh, from here on out, in a way, is going to reduce the number of choices that you have. Um, 
So you need to really think through where you want to be in 10 years, not just from a career standpoint, but from a life standpoint. Because when you're 18 to 22, um, or even in your mid-20s, I think a lot of people are really, really focused on career and have, chasing that dream career. And that, I think, sometimes is what gets people into trouble when they particularly go on to graduate school and they think, I need this dream career to, um, to, to have a fulfilling life, and I need to pursue this no matter what the cost. And then, of course, you know, having gone through graduate school and all of this myself, I found that a lot of my peers were finding that by the time you get into your late 20s and 30s, you're starting to think about a family and a house and all of these things that millennials now are saying they're delaying because of their debt. And I, I always try to say, like, if you can find a way to minimize the debt and think through the finances of all of this, it's going to make you much freer to pursue the things that you want to pursue. Um, you won't necessarily be having to go out and get the job that pays the most to take care of your debt, you'll, you might be able to do something that's a little more meaningful to you. You know, I have a lot of my students, because of what I teach, are interested in going into nonprofit and geo work and things like that. And they're also thinking about maybe going to law school. And I say, you know, law school is really expensive. Make sure when you apply, you make yourself really aware of how much this is going to cost and what you are going to have to do from a job standpoint to deal with this afterwards, because you don't want to get yourself trapped in a situation where you can't pursue your passion because of the debt. Yeah, well, Professor Carbonetti, thank you. Thank you for calling in. And I want to bring Orr in Teaneck, New Jersey, into the conversation because you are getting ready to go to grad school, right, Orr? That is correct. Hopefully I'll be applying to medical school uh, next year. Ooh, and luck. do you have any debt from, from your undergraduate? So luckily um, I got a scholarship, so it's like very minimal debt, like under 10000 So it's not a huge worry. So what's your question about thinking about med school? How are, you, how are you thinking about the loans that you might have to take on? What's your question for Miranda? So my question for you is, um, you know, medical school across the board is um, extremely, extremely expensive, anywhere from 100000 to $250,000 of debt. Um, so I guess my question is, um, A, when looking for loans, what would be some tips, um, you know, in terms of like what to research or how to approach taking out such a large uh, loan, and B, um, when would you say um, the difference between is, okay, do I go to a lower-ranked state school that's cheaper, and when would be the point of me saying, like, I got into such a more amazing school, is it worth, you know, double or triple the tuition? Oh, or that's a hard question. Okay, Miranda, there's two parts to that. So first, right. when you are getting ready to apply for med school, like how do you begin to think about what your loan options might be and how much control do you have at that, at that stage when you are becoming a student again? Yeah, so um, when you're looking at it, I mean, you definitely want to look at what kind of interest rates you're going to pay and the kinds of terms you're going to end up with as, as far as student loans go. Um, you know, I, I like personally to start with federal loans. And when I went to grad, st grad school, I got as many federal loans as I could get. And then um, got, I ended up having to get private loans on top of that to fill in the gap. And uh, it was nowhere near as expensive as, as going to uh, medical school. So, um, but yeah, so 
I think you want to, first of all, take a look at that and, and figure out, okay, um, what's going to give me um, the best terms in the long run? Uh, what kinds of interest rates can I get? Can I compare these interest rates? Um, and then, you know, think about, uh, well, what, you know, are you planning on working in areas of high need for high health care needs uh, because uh, there are special loan forgiveness programs for healthcare professionals that go beyond public service loan forgiveness. And so there are special programs available for healthcare professionals willing to work in underserved areas. And so uh, are you planning on doing that? Are you going to be able to get a little bit of loan forgiveness um, from those programs as well when you get done? Is that part of your plan? Um, so there's a lot of stuff to take into consideration uh, when it comes to deciding where to go to school. Do you go to the fancy school that costs more or do you go to the less expensive state school? And, and how do you how do you begin to think about what oh, that man. means for your earning potential? <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that's the thing, um, and that's that's kind of hard to tell uh, because are are you really a, as a doctor going to make three times as much uh, with a degree from a fancy school as you would um, from a state school? And um, and I think it also depends on where you plan to live. So uh, where I live in kind of a semi-rural area in a low-cost state in Idaho Falls. Um, they charge just as much here as they would in any other city for medical help. And so somebody who went to a state school here would do just fine. They'd still be able to charge just as much um, and, uh, you know, still make, you know, good money and have, you know, less student loan debt. So I think it also depends on, you know, where you're planning on going. Um, what's the competition like? Are you going to, um, you know, how, how much is it going to matter? And I'm going to be honest, the last time I went to the doctor's office, and maybe I should have looked, but I didn't. Um, I, I didn't even look to see where they had graduated. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't look on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I should have, but I didn't. So, uh, you know, so there, and, and then, uh, you know, it's also worth considering there are some very highly rated um, state schools with good medical programs. Um, you could go to, for instance, the University of Utah has a pretty well-regarded medical program um, and a pretty well-regarded medical school. So, um, you know, taking that in consider consideration as well, you could go to a highly rated state school and kind of split the difference there. Or thank you so much for your call and, and good luck to you as you get those applications in. Miranda, I want to talk to you a bit about just that, that process of trying to figure out when you're taking out loans, how to calculate what that's going to mean five, 10 years down the road as far as monthly payments. You've written about different state level efforts to try to have more disclosure for students about what that will mean. And I want to bring Kristen Boggs into the conversation now. She's a state rep in the state of Ohio who we heard from after our first episodes about student loans, Rianne. Welcome, Representative Boggs. Hi, thank you for having me on tonight. Sure. And and I want to hear from you from the context of being in a state legislature and talking about student loan debt and what it means for your constituents and what it means for young people at this point. Is it something that you feel like your colleagues, other lawmakers have a sense of? Um, it, it, it depends on the colleague, quite frankly. Um, I think some of them do. Certainly, um, there are a few younger members in the Ohio General Assembly that have student loan debt and, you know, have recently been to college or grad school, and so they understand how much tuition is. But there's a lot of members who um, 
aren't in that position in life. They're much older, and it's not something that uh, they immediately recognize as a problem in Ohio. So what are those conversations like if you're talking to an older colleague who may represent a part of the state where there's not a lot of colleges and universities, <laughs> there's not a lot of recent grads? What, and you, you, you're based in Columbus, right? Yeah, so I, I represent the 18th House District in Ohio, which um, actually has the largest population of 18 to 25-year-olds. And Ohio State University is part of my district, which has about 65,000 college students. Uh, and so what's interesting about my district is the capital is actually housed in my district as well. So the members are familiar with my district, and certainly everyone in Ohio recognizes Ohio State as a major institution. Um, so that is a little bit of a, a segue into being able to talk to colleagues about, you know, do you realize when you're at an OSU football game and enjoying uh, those great seats that these students, you know, are paying an extraordinary amount to be here and how this impacts, you know, Ohio's economy and their ability to be successful and their ability to want to stay in Ohio, too, um, because certainly, you know, having to determine, you know, where you're going to live the rest of your life and affordable housing costs play into that when you have a large amount of student debt load. Is there something in Ohio that you've said, you know, this would help my constituents who are struggling with student debt? This is something that I re really want to see through that you, the, that's on the table now? <laughs> You know, we just went through the process of doing our state budget, which we we do it every other year. And what was commonly said around the state house is, show me your budget and it shows me your priorities. And so we simply just need to make funding higher education a priority. You know, we've gone from a state that used to fund the majority of higher education from the 50s to the 80s, and then, you know, starting in the late 80s through the 90s, we kept trickling back how much we invested in higher education to the point now where Ohio is, you know, 37th in the state for investing state funds into our higher education institutions. And that's not a place where I want to be on the national scale. And so talking to my colleagues about that, that this needs to be a priority um, is something that I think, you know, makes a little bit of segue with them. But, you know, when you look at America as a whole right now, and you hear a lot of talk about, you know, people, you know, manufacturing jobs leaving, and when you look at the cities that are growing across the United States, you can't find a city that's growing that isn't associated with a major university. And so for you, funding higher ed is a way to, to also serve some of the constituents so maybe they won't end up graduating with such student loan debt if, if tuition doesn't have to keep making up the hole uh, from, from the lack of state funding. Uh, exactly. Representative Boggs, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate your time. And Miranda, I want to ask you just sort of generally, are, where are the best states for you to live if you've got student loan debt? Is it state by state? Does it differ enough that you should move across state lines because your life will be easier? <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned this um, because we do have a study out that we published a few months ago um, that actually takes a look at um, the best states to go if you have student loan debt. Um, Who won? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm looking that up now. 
Okay, what we'll do is we'll go to a break, and while you look at it, we'll find out who the winner, the winning state is, so we can all plan to make big moves together. I'm Anna Sale, and we are taking your calls and questions tonight about managing your student loan debt. The phone number to call is 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. We are taking more of your calls after the break. My ex said that he didn't think um, people should have kids if they have student loans or if they have debt, which was it was a blow, <laughs> to put it mildly. I'm Anna Sale, host of the Death, Sex, and Money podcast from WNYC Studios. All this hour, we've been taking your questions about dealing with your student loan debt. And as you just heard, it's because student loan debt isn't just about a monthly payment. It affects a lot of other parts of our lives. I'm here with Miranda Marquit, a senior writer for Student Loan Hero and a financial expert. So, Miranda, the suspense across the break. (laughs) What are the best states to live in if you've got student loan debt? Yeah, so um, in the the survey that we did, and it's not like super most scientific ever, just so you know, (laughs) take it with a grain (laughs) of salt. (laughs) Basically, what happened was um, what what we did was we took a look at um, the average student loan balance of uh, 2015 graduates living in the state. And um, looked at their percentage of like what you know how it stood in terms of disposable income. So um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So so you know, did you have enough? You know, you're going to be able to make your student loan payments based on a, a ten year repayment plan and still you know be able to afford other things you know like food. And so um, you know. After crunching the numbers, we came up with Utah as the best um, because the the average student loan balance um, at the time of this study was eighteen thousand eight hundred and seventy three. The average annual wage is forty four thousand one hundred and thirty. So the ratio of student payments to disposable and income was ten point eight nine percent. And part of it already gave a shout out to the University of Utah Med School. So this is just Utah is is winning the hours so far. Um, My 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 fellow Idahoans will like be upset because Utah is kind of a dirty word here. (laughs) We're always like, well, what's Utah doing? (laughs) I want to take just a a few lightning round questions because we are getting a lot of calls. Wendy in Boston, what is your question for Miranda about managing your student loan debt? Hey, um, I specifically wanted to know, um, I have both private and um, federal loans, and my payment is relatively high. But um, I keep it that way, you know, so that I don't have to pay more interest. But I'm interested in buying a home at the same time. And I've been advised that that doesn't really look great to mortgage lenders. Yeah. Yeah, So how about student loan debt and managing it when you're going to apply for a mortgage? Any advice on that? Yeah. So a lot of the time, um, what they're going to look at is they're going to look at your debt to income ratio. And so the higher your payments on your student loans, the higher it looks like you are paying on your debt. And, and they don't look at your total amount of 
you know, your total debt amount. Um, there are some, there are some weird calculations that they use with some of the federal student loans. And so that, you know, or if you're on an income driven repayment plan, uh, the calculation is a little different and it's a little wonky. Um, but for the most part, um, when you're doing this, they're going to look at how much you pay each month as a payment, as opposed to the total amount that you owe. And so if you are having a, if you have a high student loan payment, then, um, then that will cut into what's available and it will make it harder to qualify for a mortgage. Now, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, for better or for worse, um, not too long ago, well, Fannie Mae, definitely. I may have misspoken on Freddie Mac. But Fannie Mae, a a few months ago, um, changed some of their requirements to make it easier for you to qualify uh, for for one of their qualifying loans with student loan debt. Um, Like I said, for better or for worse, it it allows you to have a higher, um, what they call a debt-to-income ratio. So a higher amount of... you can borrow more money, and then it's just about whether you can handle all of the payments. Uh, Wendy, thank you so much. Thanks for your question, and good luck to you. Nelson, online Long Island. What's your question about student loan debt? I see that your mom co-signed on one of your loans. Yes, ma'am. Um, so some years ago, I've, I've been out of school now, uh, about a little more than, uh, or sorry, a little less than 10 years. And I did my undergrad um, at a very accelerated, in a very accelerated fashion. And my mindset at the time was that I wanted to finish school at, as quickly as possible and start earning some money. Unfortunately, it meant I had to take more student loan debt and uh, I graduated into the financial crisis of 2008, and then subsequently I decided to do my master's. Um, and mm. I've had uh, a quite—I graduated for upwards with my master's included, upwards of 100,000 in student loan debt. My mother co-signed uh, for my undergrad the bulk of the student loans. Um, about I have about half of them left. Mm-hmm. I attempted mm-hmm. to. Uh, have her released as the co-signer because in the back of my mind for all these years, I always had the fear that what happens if I can't make these payments and my mother is still connected to them in some fashion. So Mm -hmm. I recently tried to have them uh, removed from her name by releasing, by completing an application with Navient to have her released uh, via the co-signer release application. And I was, I was rejected surprisingly um, uh, because well, not surprisingly, I have a large amount of debt. I bought a house last year as well. Um, so it, it it was interesting, though, that um, I was rejected and they specified that uh, I could not um, um, uh, dispute uh, the uh, the rejection uh, and, and prevent a uh, additional credit check from occurring because uh, I accidentally, apparently, was trying to... to as forward as possible, I accidentally included only my income as opposed to my wife and my income collectively. Mm, So they rejected us. um, So is your question about the the process of applying again to get your mom's name taken off? Yes, that and and really it's actually the first time I've had a significant or at least an issue with my uh, lender. Um, So they've said that in order for me to dispute it, they would have to perform an additional credit check, Mm -hmm. which... For me, it's not. It's a non-starter. I would prefer that they just allow me to amend the application and they can consider my collective income as opposed to my individual income. They specify okay. it's a policy of theirs not to do that. All right, Nelson. Well, thank you for that background. And Miranda, just hearing Nelson's story, what's your advice for him right now about how to manage this? 
Oh yeah, good luck. Um, so so yeah, one of one of the things that we run into, right, when you look at like the consumer financial, uh, yeah, the the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is they have all these uh, complaints against student loan servicers, and you can kind of see why, um, because it's very difficult to go through these processes and get things done, and having your having somebody removed as a cosigner is something that um, is a policy for each individual. Uh, lender and you kind of have to abide by those um you can call them and talk to them and say hey i didn't include this can i amend my original application and if they say no uh, there's really not a whole lot you can do beyond um redoing the application um letting them do the the credit check again um the good news is that a credit check um and you know especially if you wait six months or so before you try this process again um a credit check isn't going to um destroy your credit in the way a missed payment would and so um i mean we're talking um as as long as you're not having a bunch of inquiries we're talking like between you know three to ten points on your credit score for the most part not every time it's not written in stone but for the most part on average and so it's not um going to destroy your credit um and then the other option is to, you know, you can, if you have the credit score and the combined household income, um, you could perhaps try to just refinance um, the loan in your name only so that your so that the loan is replaced. So the current loan is replaced by a new loan in your name only. So it's refinanced without your mother involved. Nelson, good luck to you. I want to bring in a parent now. We've heard a lot from borrowers who who went through school. This is a parent of someone currently in college. Karen in New Jersey, welcome to Death, Sex, and Money. Hi, thank you. Um, Hi, what's your question for Miranda? um, So um, my daughter is a sophomore um, in college, and we have Parent PLUS loans and uh, student loans in her name. Um, and I'm wondering if we should start paying um, them off now. Should we pay off the student loan or the Parent PLUS loan? And so this is a two-part question. If we're paying them off, should we be, like, making a monthly payment? Um, we just got a gift from my daughter's grandmother. Should we just put a big lump sum to it? What's your advice? Yeah, so Good question. Yeah. So in the end, once again, um, I uh, heartily encourage you to, um, you know, consult with a financial planner, kind of look ahead and kind of run the numbers on your own. Um, but I personally um, would say, you know, maybe consider if you would like to start paying off something early, the Parent PLUS loan is a good place to start. It has a higher interest rate than the um, interest rate on the uh, reg- the regular student loan, the, the student loan in your daughter that your daughter's taken out. Um, it, it's it's it has a lower interest rate. Her student loan has a much lower interest rate. Um, the Parent PLUS loan has a higher interest rate. So, um, I personally like to start there with the higher interest rate, and if this is a if this is a windfall type of money that you have and you are comfortable, you don't you don't want to put it toward an emergency fund or you don't have other obligations, and you are comfortable um, with the idea of kind of knocking down some of that debt, um, using that is not a bad idea um, at all to use that kind of windfall to you know get rid of some of that debt. Um, the other thing to consider as well is uh, you are the parent. And you don't, and as you're getting closer, I assume, to retirement and uh, wanting to enjoy uh, the golden years a little bit, um, you know, getting rid of some of that debt that's in your name um, and starting out there so that you're not putting your retirement at risk is definitely something um, to think about. 
Thank you, Karen, and good luck to you. And and you mentioned, Miranda, consulting a financial advisor. Angela on Facebook has the question, what is a reasonable cost to pay a financial advisor? I want someone professional, but the whole reason I need someone is that I have so little spending money. Any tips for how much you should prioritize for paying a financial advisor? Yeah, so there are a lot of them that um, will do it kind of on a fee-only basis. They, they might charge... Um, you know, uh, per hour, or they might charge a flat rate. Um, if you have a specific question, a specific thing that you want to go through, um, looking for somebody who will sit down with you for maybe um, one or 200 bucks to like take you through the whole thing um, and just help you hammer out a one-time plan uh, can make sense. So it's somebody you're not going to see on a regular basis. It's not somebody you're going to go to all the time, but you want help hammering out a plan. Um, you know, that's personally, and I, and I actually did this a long time ago um, when I was having problems. Um, I did in fact go see somebody at the time, the person that I saw, they were charging $125 to sit with them for an hour and a half or so and like hammer out a roadmap. And so, um, and so that's what I did. Um, other financial planners, um, you know, they'll, you know, help on a, you know, basis of however, I don't even know what the going rate is right now. Wow, that one took me by surprise. See if, well, just see if you can have one <laughs> session, Angela, on Facebook, yeah. and maybe that'll get you some help yeah. since money and, is tight. And, and one, so, one more question oh, with was, money oh. being tight, because we, we've gotten a lot of questions about pe- people who are struggling with their monthly payments. So, Miranda, if, you, if you're not able to make your monthly payment, is it worth making some payment even though you're still going to incur fees? What do you tell people if they haven't yet figured out a way to get into an income-based repayment program? Is it worth writing a check for $200 if you owe $400? <laughs> or is it better off to, to spend that energy getting in a different kind of payment plan? Yeah. So, well, the first thing when you, when you can't make a payment, your first thing to do is to call a servicer. I, you know, I mean, uh, call them, let them know what's going on. A lot of them, um, especially if they're, if it's for federal loans and they're federal loan servicers, um, they're not always super great about it, but they're supposed to, um, help you find options to get into an affordable payment plan. So make so, that call before you yeah. just write the check. Yeah. We are getting to the near the end of our hour, but I want to bring in one more caller. Dina was in one of our episodes on student loans. You heard her talk about feeling lost and like she screwed up and like she was book smart and world stupid. Hi, Dina. Hi. <laughs> Hi. You, I understand that since our episodes came out, you've, you've made, a, made a decision to do something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just really kind of felt trapped, and, and ironically, um, I just hit my 10-year, uh, you know, uh, anniversary or reunion, whatever it is, from college. So my student loans went up, <laughs> which was not good for me. Um, so I just really kind of thought, what can I do to not get back into this, like, uh, desperate, we have no money in the bank account, we're, we're negative, what do we do? Um, and so I really kind of looked into what my options were, and I, I have decided to to start my own business and really like take this this moment where I'm not in that dire straight situation to um to put myself ahead in in life and really try and like do that for myself, my family and anybody else I can help along the way. That's awesome. Thank and you. any tips Miranda for for entrepreneurs who also have monthly student loan payments that they've got to make? Yeah, I mean, get started, um kind of do it on on your own. I like to I like to point to the American Time Use Survey which basically says that the average American age 15 and up spends um 
close to, it's like 2.8 hours um, watching TV each day. So um, take, take even just half of that and, you know, do an hour and a half um, to two hours and just sort of, um, you know, well, I guess that's more than half of 2.8, but whatever. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, t- take an hour and a half to two hours a, a, an evening and work on starting this business. I mean, um, I am a freelancer on the side before I started, you know, doing what I do with Student Loan Hero. I've been, you know, writing about money for you know, 12 years now. And, um, you know, just kind of moving forward with that. I, I think that's great, you know, and then take all of the money you make from that and, you know, put it toward destroying that debt, you know, take, take that and, and treat Destroy it as... Destroy that debt. That is a good message to end on. Good luck to you, Dina. It's nice to hear Thank that you, you you've much. got something new going on and we wish you all the best luck. Miranda Marquit has been with me all this hour. She's a financial expert and the senior writer at the website Student Loan Hero, who is also managing her student loan debt. Thank you so much for being with us. She joined us from Idaho Falls tonight. Miranda, thank you. Thank you. You can go to deathsexmoney.org slash student loans to see resources that we have there. If you still have questions, you have been listening to a special live call-in from the Death, Sex, and Money podcast. This was the second of two nights of live conversation about student debt. You can find all of our episodes at deathsexmoney.org or in your favorite podcast app. And all of our student debt coverage is at deathsexmoney.org slash loans. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC Studios. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, and Emily Botine, with help tonight from Jessica Miller, Ursula Summer, and Asher Stockler. Thanks to Andrew Dunn for his original scoring. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Jason Isaac is our engineer in New York. Jim Bennett is engineering me here at KQED in California. Thanks also to Jacqueline Sincata, Aaron Cohen, Chris Whitfield, Bill O'Neill, Mandy Naglich, and Caroline English. You can find Death, Sex, and Money on Twitter at Death, Sex, Money and on Facebook where you can see a video of this broadcast on the Death, Sex, and Money Facebook page. And we've got a weekly email newsletter. Let's keep this conversation going. You can sign up by texting the word newsletter to the number 70101. Thank you to all of you for sharing your stories about student debt and for helping each other by sharing. You can email us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.